the project. Kuwait. Learn. Hey guys, what's up? In this episode of the project, we brought on Dr. Mohamed El Benne, a heart surgeon here in Kuwait, probably one of the best. I mean, this guy's phenomenal. He's a wealth of knowledge, brought so many different topics to the table from genetics to what happens if you take steroids and athlete's heart and the heart muscle on its own. Such a great episode. Stay tuned, give it a listen, and if you have any questions, DM us and we'll pass them on. All this and more in today's episode. Hey, everybody. Welcome to this episode of The Project. We are joined by a famous heart surgeon here in Kuwait, Dr. Mohamed al right? I pronounced yes. the last name right. Correct. Yes. All right. Great heart surgeon. Thank Your you. message on Instagram is phenomenal. For our English listeners, it's mostly in Arabic, right? It is. I mean, uh, we try to subtitle most of the things that we produce. If the caption, I try also to write it in Arabic and in English. And the YouTube channel is subtitled if you activate English subtitles in YouTube. So I'm trying as much as I can to cater to the non-Arabic speakers. But you can appreciate that, you know, the community I live in um, is Arabic and most of the people are not proficient in English and they wouldn't understand, you know, medical English. And hence I try and translate or I try and produce in Arabic and then translate into English as much as I can. Which is awesome. And hopefully we can bring you back on the show for more questions. <laughs> uh, more than welcome. More than welcome. I'm hoping we could get you back on here. Highlight that we have some really good surgeons here in Kuwait. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's the amazing thing that we, I see your message because I understand Arabic mm -hmm. and the message you send to people, not only from a medical perspective, but from a community perspective Absolutely. is a big message. And yes. it's important whether you're in Kuwait or across the world, you know, don't yeah. always blame the doctor. We were talking about that. That's earlier. true. That is so true. I mean, the system is at fault for most of the things that people complain about. And once we get the system tweaked, I think we already have a very good medical health care and we could improve it even further. And most of the Kuwaiti doctors have been trained in Western countries like the United States, like Canada, like the United Kingdom, France, Germany. So they have the knowledge and we only need to be organized enough so that people are content and happy with the service that they get. Which is amazing. I wouldn't trust an ambulance in Kuwait, yes, but yes. I would trust the doctor working on yes. me. <laughs> thank you. Thanks. I definitely wouldn't trust the ambulance to get here. So what they do is they scoop and run. So basically that they try and get you to the hospital as, as soon as they can and in order to get medical care at the hospital. They do the basics. You know, they're not allowed to do many things in the field. And hence, that's why I guess their hands are tied. Yeah. So let's dive into some of the aspects of what we brought you on sure, here for sure, in, terms of, in terms of heart health and, you know, especially heart health in Kuwait. Mm -hmm. um, you know, what are some of the most common heart issues that you see in Kuwait, whether it be from a genetic perspective, you mm -hmm. know, or whether it be from just overindulging in fast foods, okay. smoking, Good. smoking shisha. So Kuwait, just like any other developed country, shares the same characteristics there is a reduction in movement or an exercise activity. There is a prevalence of sedentary lifestyle. There is malnutrition. And what I mean by malnutrition is not the sparsity of food, but what I mean is there is an abundance of food. There is overconsumption of food. There is increased prevalence of uh, diabetes, high blood sugar. There is high rates of high blood pressure. And there is high cholesterol. All these combined only lead to one thing, 
increased risk of coronary artery disease. And what I mean by coronary artery disease is blockages and the coronary arteries or the arteries that supply the heart muscle itself. So those are basically the veins that go into the exactly. heart that pump the blood uh, They in and out. supply the energy to the heart so that the heart can pump to the rest of the body. If the heart is not getting enough oxygen and enough nutrients, then it's unable to do its job properly. So all these factors increase the risk of heart disease. Coronary artery disease is the number one killer in the world. It kills in excess of 17 million people every year. It kills more than cancer. It kills more than wars. It kills more than infections. It is the number one killer in the world currently. So Kuwait, just like any other country in the developed world, has a high prevalence of coronary artery disease. This is the number one heart disease that we have here in Kuwait. So now I've seen, I think I've heard you say this, if I understood it correctly on your Instagram page, do all of our hearts go bad at some point? So yes. So that was yes. something, in, and that scared so the hell out yes, of me, by so the we've way. Got, we've got autopsy reports and autopsy studies on kids as young as six years old, and we can see deposits in their coronary arteries from that age. So this is a process that is ongoing. It's a natural process uh, that the body undergoes to heal its damaged arteries. So you get these small deposits of, just to oversimplify it, we say cholesterol deposits. But there's more complex processes that happen, you know, I don't think a regular person would understand. So like so kinda, I would kinda, say kind of grease going through exactly. uh, a pipe. Exactly. If you were grease and water going through the pipe, the grease is going to catch on to the side of the pipe. Exactly, okay. exactly. That's what's happening. And we can see that on the arteries of six-year-old kids, there are the beginnings of streaks of cholesterol deposited on the walls of the arteries. Now, one person developed heart disease and another doesn't. It's because of the speed at which these deposits are formed. So if you don't move, if you have high cholesterol, if you have diabetes, if you have high blood pressure, the speed at which these deposits precipitate onto the wall is faster than someone who exercises, looks after himself or herself, eats well, doesn't have diabetes, doesn't have high cholesterol. So we are all susceptible to this. The people, I guess the lucky ones, are the ones who don't have the risk factors that speeds up the deposits forming on the walls of the... Uh, so genetics the plays a factor. Genetics plays a very strong factor. So yes. I could be, me and you could have the same diet smoke, yes, all that exactly. for our whole lives. Yes. But you have a predisposed genetic disposition to develop coronary heart disease at an earlier age Yes, versus I could still live into my 90s smoking a pack a day. Exactly. Yes. Wow. Yes. Yes. And now what about in Kuwait, like as Kuwaitis mm -hmm. genetically, you know, because mm -hmm. we come from all around the Middle East. So we do everything. come. That's true. But we do have a high prevalence of genes from Southeast Asia. I don't know, through trades or through whatnot travels, we share the genes from that pool. Southeast Asians are Indians, Pakistanis, Bangladeshis, and these people have, by default, they have smaller coronary arteries. And if you could imagine, you have a small pipe mm -hmm. through which blood flows, you only need a small amount of deposits to block that artery. Compare that to a huge pipe, let's say you're a Caucasian, you need a whole lot of deposits 
to block your arteries. Now you just scare me. <laughs> well, <laughs> you know. Now you just scare me. It's just a but, fact. But I mean, at the end of the day, like you said, it the genetic predisposition. So you're saying in Asia or mm. like in our country and yes. in the Asian countries, mm. it's like that's how we're built. That's how we're built. Exactly. Exactly. And the only thing we can really do to fix that is prevent. 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 Yeah. Prevention is the number one key to cure your heart disease. Don't get it in the first place and you'll be fine. Okay. So now in terms of if we go into prevention a little mm -hmm. bit, there have been a lot of recent studies that have come out that have said strength training is better than cardio training, running and so forth. That okay. The level of strength that you can exhibit in a medical exam mm -hmm. will give you a good idea of the person's mortality rate. Right? Yes. You know, just because they are stronger and they'll live longer. Mm -hmm. Where's your stance on that? Do you believe in any of this or is it too new to... So I cannot comment. I haven't looked into the research, but I could tell you. So the American Heart Association recommends that we do 30 minutes of cardiovascular workout every day, five days a week. And that should reduce the risk of getting a heart attack by almost a half. Okay. So if you only do half an hour, you need to get your heart rate up. So I usually tell my patients and people I know, Walk. Walking is a very good and effective exercise, but you can't go like a, a stroll in the park or you go to a mall like in Kuwait because of the weather, because it's so hot. I tell people go to a big shopping mall and walk inside because it's air conditioned. You've got lots of chairs. You've got people around if something happens to you. So walking like you're window shopping, that doesn't count. You need to walk. Uh, you need to, it's a brisk walk. Your heart rate needs to go up. You need to get a cold sweat. You know what I mean? Yeah. So get That's, up to the 130 to 145 range of a heart rate. So 140 may, might even be too high. Okay. You know, if oh, you just, that's good. just okay, go above that's 100, you'll be fine. Just above 100 Just is above fine. 100, yes. Oh, all right. Yeah. Okay. That's something so I definitely need to know. brisk walking is good. Now, on the other hand, on the flip side, there are studies that looked at people who excessively exercise. So these are people who do more than two hours of exercise a day. So if you look at, there's a bell curve of benefit. The benefit goes up as you increase the number of minutes of exercise per day, ideally an hour, and then the benefits come down as the minutes of exercise increase. So if you go above two hours, you're actually not doing yourself a service. You're doing yourself a disservice. So moderation is the key word in everything that we do. I don't recommend that we excessively exercise, and I don't recommend that we don't exercise. Exercising routinely is, I guess, the message I would like to put out there. Okay, that's, that's an interesting fact, and I'm mm -hmm. glad you brought that up. Now, what about athletes? I mean, for me personally, mm -hmm. I work out probably an hour and a half a day. Okay. Vigorously, I do CrossFit. Okay. You know, and there, I'm sure there are a lot of other athletes out there that do that also. Okay. And there's something that I read about that's called athlete's heart or okay. athlete heart syndrome. Okay. And I saw that and it kind of freaked me out a little bit. But there's the flip side of the coin mm -hmm. where if I'm not doing anything, so is that across the board or okay, so, how does that work? So athlete's heart, the heart is a muscle. If you exercise your biceps, what's going to happen? Biceps gonna, get bigger. Yeah. Gets bigger. Exactly. Same thing. If you exercise your heart, the heart is going to get bigger and it gets bigger in two ways. The first way is that the muscle thickness grows. The thickness of the wall is higher or is bigger. The other way it grows is that the size of the chambers inside the heart also grow. So it, it balloons. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So we've got the thickness of the heart is bigger and we've got the size of the heart in its totality as a balloon or as a bag also grows bigger. 
This is a reflex because of the increased demands of the body for oxygen and blood. So it's a natural reflex. Solomon Henschen in 1899, who's a Swedish physician, found that cross-country skiers, when autopsied, had bigger hearts compared to the regular person. This is way back when it was discovered. And we know that it's a natural response to the demands of an athlete. It is not a pathological state. It's not a disease. It doesn't put you at risk for death or put you at risk for anything else. And if you stop exercising, then just like the biceps that shrinks down to its normal size, the heart will also shrink down to its normal size once you stop exercising vigorously. So, so athlete's heart is not a disease by itself. So the things that happen is that the heart grows stronger, the muscle is thicker, the size of the chamber is bigger also, the heart rate is lower. So you find that athletes' heart rates are in the 40s, while a regular person's heart rate is 70. And you find that heart could do in 30 strokes what a regular heart does in 70. So it could expel the same amount of blood that a regular heart does in 70 strokes. Does that make sense? Because it's bigger and stronger. So we have one stroke that propels the blood, let's say 50 meters, while a tiny regular Joe's heart, you know, needs to expel that blood like six, seven times before it could catch up. It's like someone on, it's like someone on a rower. If Liam was on a rower, exactly. his pole is going to have more than my pole exactly. because it's bigger. Exactly. That makes sense. That exactly. makes a lot of sense. Exactly. So it's not necessarily a bad thing. So it's not a bad thing. Now, what is a bad thing? A bad thing is something else that is called hypertrophic cardiomyopathy or hypertrophic obstructive cardiomyopathy. So that's, um, can so you that's, break that down a little okay. bit more? Like, is that's, that so larger? Gonna, exactly. So that is, again, enlarged thick muscle. So hypertrophic obstructive HOCM, if you look it up on Google or on the internet, you'll get lots of pages that tell you what hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. And basically, it is the same thing that happens in an athlete's heart but the cause is not because of excessive exercise, but the cause is a genetic mutation. And this genetic mutation could be a, a one-off or most of the cases, it is a familial genetic mutation that okay. you inherit from your parents. Now, how do we know which kind of enlargement do I have? You have to go and see a specialist. So get is, in. is that like from the movie? Oh, what was that movie? The guy, his son needed the heart transplant. His heart was too big for his chest cavity. Is it? I don't know. John yeah. T. No. There was a movie about yeah. it. I can't remember the name of that remember. movie. I don't, I don't it's going to kill me now. It. It's going to kill me now. It will come it, to you. Yeah, no, eventually, eventually it will. And it, was, it had Denzel Washington in it. I vaguely remember it. But, but it was about a kid. His, you know, his heart was too big for his chest, so he needed okay. a transplant. All right. You know. So maybe that's it. So what we have is asymmetrical enlargement. So if you look at an athlete's heart, it is uniformly big. While here, there are separate parts in the heart that are enlarged and they kind of block the normal flow of blood through the heart okay. and prevent it from flowing in a natural manner. What happens is that these people develop tendencies to develop lethal arrhythmias. And that's why that's where the concern is, is someone with this condition could just drop dead in the middle of a workout. What are some of the early signs for people? Like, can you, so you tell? Could get, you could get uh, dizziness, lightheadedness. You could get uh, chest pain. You could get, you know, feeling a flutterness. These are the different symptoms that we have. This it's, would be outside of a workout. This exactly, would just be like exactly, normal. Exactly. You're walking around yes, and you have yes. like dizziness, chest pain. Now, if you are a professional, you know, or you're a hardcore athlete, I would recommend that we all go and get checked. 
You get an EKG, you get an ultrasound of the heart or an echocardiogram, and this tells you whether you have the illness or you don't. Like, for instance, in some countries, in Italy, for instance, where they had a screening program for all athletes, they managed to bring down the chances of sudden cardiac death, you know, someone in the playing field just dropping dead by 90%. Wow. So screening helps you determine if, can't remember who it was, but there was a prominent footballer who was found that he had a heart condition, this specific heart condition, and he was prevented from pursuing his career as a professional soccer player. Wow. So yeah. can it, can something like that, the genetic mutation, can mm -hmm. that be reversed or through surgeries and whatnot? Well, so or, what, I happens mean, what happens is if you, point? so yes, so what happens is if you have that discrepancy in growth and muscle, one could have an operation to get that part excised. But again, we wouldn't recommend participating in vigorous exercise. So you could probably go back to normal workouts, but not a professional level of uh, exercising. Really? Yes. So like, if you have that genetic You've lucked out. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. I thought once sometimes you get things fixed, <laughs> you know, you well, can go they, back to normalcy so a little bit. What happens is that these people are unable to even do their normal daily activities. So they cannot go up the stairs. They can't do their day-to-day -day activity. And that's why they go and seek medical help and medical attention. The operation would help them go back to a normal lifestyle, but we don't usually recommend that they go back and pursue uh, Wow. You know, yeah. That's interesting hearing mm -hmm. about. So with the athletes, we can build up our hearts. Yes. And we'll so, be okay I mean, I it. work out every day. Yeah. I don't think I need to go and see a heart specialist because, you know, I just do an hour. I do a bit of cardio, a bit of resistance training. I'm sure you got to keep those hands protected also. Million dollar hands right there. Like, <laughs> I hope. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know. Mashallah. I mean, I don't imagine you ever picking up like a 60 pound dumbbell, you know, like that. Not just, yet. Not <laughs> see, see if, it, if it were me, I'd be like, all right, you know what? I'm just going to do cardio. <laughs> like this will be enough for me. You know? But you know, resistance training is very good. I mean, it maintains the muscle mass that we all have. As we grow old, our muscle mass diminishes and we do need our muscles to live our lives. So resistance training is better than cardio only in that sense. So I would mix it up and not solely rely on, you know, running or rowing or whatever. Yeah, we always try and preach that to get a mix in. Exactly. Cardio is still good for you, yes. but I try to push out the strength training more because mm. everyone does cardio when yeah. they want to go to the gym or lose yes. weight. It's first thing they go to is running. Exactly. But then that's all they do. Mm -hmm. They don't do the other important stuff that goes along with that with that's strength true. training. Yes. Which I think having a balanced lifestyle at the end of the day probably sets you up for success, right? Absolutely, yes. So what about if we go into when you put stents in a heart? Yes. I don't know the medical term. Yes. <laughs> so, that's it. You, so you put yeah. stents in your uh, arteries. Because yes. my, my uncle's had, I think, four of them put in or okay. five or something. He was a smoker for, yes. I don't know, like 30 years mm. at least and drank coffee every day and, you know, boom, had a heart attack okay. and put all the stints in, everything. You know, then he got into working out mm -hmm. and I was actually training him. After the stents? Yes, okay. after the stents. But this was about five or six years after. Okay. I was always very careful mm -hmm. with the level that I pushed him in because obviously there's there's a risk factor, I'm assuming. So when people do that, they put stents in and then they go, because he would try to go vigorously. Yes. And I'd be like, hey, calm down. You know, you've had heart surgery. You know, take it easy. What would you prescribe? I mean, is that a good way to kind of balance it out? Because there's not really a lot of education out there. That's true. So one of the things that we found also saved lives 
is taking part in a rehab program, a cardiac rehab program. And this cardiac rehab program is offered to those who have had coronary artery disease, even without stents or surgery, those who have stents and those who have had bypass surgery. It is also offered to patients who have heart failure. So we send patients to participate in a cardiac rehab program. This is like a gym that is supervised by physiotherapists and by a cardiologist. Do we have that here in Kuwait? We have that here in Kuwait. We've got a big center in chest disease hospital. It's called uh, the Hisham Al-Sakr Center in Sabah area. We usually send our patients after they've had their operations to this center. And what it has shown is that it shows that there's less incidence of uh, death following the procedure and there's less admissions to the hospital if you participate in this program. So this is one thing that someone could try themselves out at the beginning, you know, immediately after their heart operation or the stents are placed or having a heart attack. They could go and participate in this program. They slowly build up their endurance and their level of activity, which is done under medical supervision. Once they finish the program, then they could go and participate in a regular program in any gym you know, under supervision of a personal trainer, for example. I mean, that makes sense. If you have a torn meniscus or something or you get, you know, you have a torn ACL, you're going to go and rehab it exactly. before you get back into it, Absolutely. which makes complete sense. But I don't think a lot of people know about that or a lot of people maybe don't play it up to what it's really worth. So I've heard mixed messages. So from people who have worked out routinely, they think that this is nothing. You know, what the hell? You know, I'm, they don't let me do anything. And that is the point. You know, we let you do things gradually. At the beginning of the program, you might think that this is nothing. You know, it's like graduating to a next level. So you finish level one, you graduate to the next level. You know, the weights are going to be higher. The intensity is going to be higher. When we're comfortable that you can withstand the minimal effort. So it's not going to push you into the deep end from day one. However, people who have never exercised, you know, they think it's too much. Does that make sense? Yeah. So yeah, they're, they're unable to yeah. keep up with the workout and the exercise because too taxing in terms of activity level. So it's not, I cannot say it's tailored for everyone. So we start everyone at the same level. And then, you know, once we're comfortable with individual number one, he could graduate to level two. Individual maybe number two could stick around in level one for a longer period of time until he's more comfortable graduating to a more higher level. That makes a lot of sense, actually. That really does. It spirals into like when you're rehabbing your shoulder or your knee. Yes. Now, what are, right, say someone gets stints put in. Mm -hmm. Now, do they have to get them put in again? Like my uncle went back in less yes. than a year ago okay. because they were like, all right, you need new stints again. It was 10 years later. And so that's the there's problem. like an expiry date. Well, there isn't. There. No, there isn't an expiry date. But what happens is the arteries, there's like we have three main arteries in our hearts and they branch off into different, you know, my arteries or not the branching in them is not similar to yours. We all have our different branchings. What happens is, okay, I might fix one part of the artery, but another part becomes diseased. Does that make sense? Yeah. That definitely so it's like, you know, sense, you've yeah. got, you know, I've got highways. So if you develop a hole in one highway and you fix that hole, there's nothing preventing another highway from getting another hole that requires to be fixed. So the fact that you've had a stent put in does not necessarily mean that you've got a free card out of jail, you know, in a Monopoly game. You know, it's not a bill of good health. If anything, it just means that this is your warning. Look after yourself. You know, stop the bad habits that brought you here in the first place. Start working out, eat well, 
look after your blood sugar and blood cholesterol level and blood pressure level. Take your medication, visit your doctor routinely and try and lead as healthy a lifestyle as you can to prevent this from happening again. So the fact that he went back in doesn't necessarily mean that these stents that were put in expired. It just means that maybe he had another segment of his coronary artery that developed a blockage. And now that segment needs to be opened up. So he, sh- he should never smoke again, correct? Absolutely. Because he started smoking again a year ago or so a year and a half terrible. ago. He that went is... back to smoking mm-hmm. again. And then, you know, it's like the doctor's like, you know, are you stupid? Like they, they were basically like, are you an idiot? You're wasting our time. Exactly. Because you're just going back in your you know, putting a cigarette in your mouth, which is obviously doing more damage. I've heard this from other doctors. They're like, the worst thing you can do Mm. is smoke a cigarette. Absolutely. Right now, that's my biggest regret. I smoked since I was like 13 years old. But you stopped now. I quit two years ago. Good man. Yeah, I quit two years ago. Good for you. I don't want my son Mm -hmm. taking care of me when I'm 80 years old. Yes. I want to still be able to take care of him well into my 90s. That's my goal. You know, inshallah. Inshallah. I'll keep my fingers crossed. (laughs) I'm keeping them crossed that I didn't do too much damage, you know? (laughs) So, I mean... It's you get a lot of people like that. They're like, oh, you know, I'm all right. And our mentality in Kuwait too is, it is. Oh, it's okay. Hey, la, 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 la. So Emily, I'm okay. I, yes. You know, in translation, I did the operation. I'm okay now. I'm going to go back to leading the lifestyle. That is wrong. That is wrong. That was your alarm bell going off, saying, you know what? You've got blockages in the arteries. The doctors have fixed some of them. Don't let the rest of the arteries develop new blockages. Now is the time to change. Now is the time to live a healthier lifestyle. When you said that the damage that happens cannot be fixed, unfortunately. So if we have blockages that develop in the walls of the arteries, there is nothing, no drink, no food, no medicine that would dissolve these blockages. Nothing at all. The only thing is we either create a bypass through an operation or we put a stent that opens up that narrowed area. The damage that happens to the heart muscle, the weakness or the death to the cells of the heart that happened from a heart attack cannot be reversed. So anything that dies in one's heart muscle does not come back. And the whole point of putting these stents is to prevent further damage. So it's just damage control. It's a palliative operation that prevents further damage from happening. We're not actually curing the blockage inside the vessels. And that is why everyone has to look after themselves. They have to be careful, you know, what they put in their mouths, what they put in their bodies and what they consume. Wow. That's pretty deep right there. Now, what about the athletes or the people that exercise? Mm -hmm. You know, like I see it a lot, especially in the CrossFit scene. And I get shocked when they're like, oh, you know, I do CrossFit. I'm like, oh, yeah, you know, we just ran a 5K, whatever. Mm. He goes, and I'm like, wait, you smoke? Yeah. And they're like, yeah, but it's okay. You know, I smoke, but I still get my exercise in. Is there a cost benefit to that? Like, is there is there a benefit of me saying, okay, you know what? I'm going to go lead a shitty lifestyle, smoke, drink, whatever, 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 eat crappy foods. Mm -hmm. And then can I go and sort of negate it through hardcore okay. exercise and I everything? See, is I that see. possible? Or so is let's that... say the way I portray it is I say your exercise is like a shield that's going to help you prevent disease. Now, this shield is not going to be able to withstand everything you throw at it. You know, you, okay, you use a, a tiny knife, you know, it's going to help you protect yourself. You use a, a bazooka, <laughs> that shield is yeah. no good protecting you. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. So be careful what you put yourself through. Like if you smoke, you've increased your risk or your chance of getting heart disease by fourfold. 
if you smoke, you've increased the chance of getting lung cancer by 25 folds. So you're 25 times higher of getting lung cancer compared to a person who has never smoked. People who smoke are at increased risk of getting oral cancer, esophageal cancer, lung cancer, leukemia, stomach cancer, liver cancer, pancreatic cancer, kidney cancer, cervical cancer, bladder cancer, and colon cancer. People who smoke have a higher risk of getting all of these cancers when compared to people who don't smoke. If you smoke, there's a higher chance of developing a stroke, a blood clot in your brain, of going blind, of getting a gum disease, having aortic aneurysms that might rupture, coronary artery disease, pneumonia, developing blockages in the arteries in your legs, getting chronic obstructive lung disease, diabetes, infertility, hip fractures, male sexual dysfunction, and rheumatoid arthritis. So we subject ourselves to all these illnesses, to higher risk of developing these illnesses, if we smoke. But in the 60s, I mean, you had doctors coming on TV saying it was okay. That is <laughs> true. Know, that's that, the sad I, thing. I don't deny like, that. That's, that's, that's true. That's the sad that thing. Like true. marketing got to that point where exactly. you had doctors exactly. in the United States. And now States people have come up with a new thing it. that they say, okay, don't smoke regular cigarettes. E-cigarettes. Yeah, what's the deal with e-cigarettes? So e-cigarettes are be new. something bad. So they are bad. New research is coming out to say that they are bad, but because they're new in the market. So we're back in the 60s now where we're saying, okay, smoke e-cigarettes and don't smoke regular cigarettes. But, you know, everything synthetic that you put in your body, I'm sure will have negative effects. The only good thing that we know e-cigarettes are useful for is to quit regular smoking because you've got a dial or you've got a dose of nicotine that you can put into the e-cigarette. So if you start with, let's say, six, in a month you can come down to five and then four, three, two, one. And by that time, you're kind of come off your dependence on nicotine and you can quit smoking altogether. But people sometimes replace one bad habit with another. That is true. That so, is I true. mean, I see a lot of guys at work now. They're like, I got the e-cigarette now. I know. And I'm like, but dude, that's just as bad. Exactly. Like you're it just, is. It's got to be just as bad. It is I, bad, yes. I mean, you're still ingesting smoke into your lungs, into your body. That's true. So, I mean, there is some rhyme to that reason that it is still bad. There is, you. yes. Yes, I can't disagree with you. Yeah. Wow, that's, I mean people who are listening to this, like they got to quit smoking. I mean, my father-in-law just recently, a year ago, mm. he had to have a uh, fluid drain from his chest. Yes. He's been a smoker since he was a kid. Okay. And, you know, he's well into his fifties and it's like, what are you doing? He's still but, smoking. You know, so fifties, I don't get it. So this is bad. Fifties in my books is young. So when someone comes in for a heart operation and they're 50 years old, we're like, oh man, this guy's so young. He's young even when he's in late sixties. Really? He's still young. Really? That's still young. So for I'm, us, this is still young because, you know, imagine we operate on older people. So it's not until you're in your 80s that I say, okay, this guy is. Really? I always thought that like, you know, being in your mid 30s or mid 40s to well, early you know, 50s. 40s and you were at new 20s. That's, that's, what I, that's, what I, that's what I heard. But I always thought like when you get into that age range. That's where the heart problems start to set in. And well, they, all they do, but if or you look it just, after everything yourself, everything's kind of fast forwarding now versus 20 years ago or 10 years ago. Like when I was a kid, th that is true. I remember my uncles were in their 60s, mm -hmm. you know, that's and they when looked they okay. No, that's when they started getting sick. That's okay. when they started getting the heart disease. Well, if you look after yourself, you're meant to live until you're 80. Okay. So 60, you still have 20 years to go. So imagine if you're broken down in your 60, I mean, what are you going to do until you're 80? Yeah. So I highly recommend that people look after themselves. Wow. 
some yeah. deep stuff right yeah. there. Yeah. That's a, you know, but it's good. It's good to bring that stuff to reality, Absolutely. especially for the fitness people. Because so now, think, uh, fitness people. So how do we get heart attacks? So we get heart attacks through three ways. The first way is there is a big narrowing or a huge blockage in your coronary artery. And if you increase the demand, if the heart beats faster. So that's like the main pump into your heart. That's the main pump. Into okay. the, oh. Sorry, I just wanted to break so this that is, down. Yeah, so the, this is the tubes that supply the heart with the juice it requires to run. Okay. So you have a big blockage in this pipe mm-hmm. and then there's an increased demand. Okay. And then it's unable to meet the demands of the heart. So this is one way of having a heart attack is the heart is pumping at a fast rate. It's got, you know, you're exercising, you're angry, you're anxious. And the heart needs more blood, but because of this big blockage in the arteries, you're unable to mat- to satisfy the needs. So how high would my heart rate have to go to get to that scary point? Because right now I'm looking at that and I'm like, because when I work out, I mm. usually have a heart rate monitor. Okay. On. I like to monitor myself just to see but, where I'm at, see yes. how things are. And usually I hover, the highest I really get to is like the 170 range. And that's really like pushing hard. Yes. So usually we look at uh, 220 minus your age is a rough estimate of your maximum heart rate. Okay, good. So I'm like right in that range. Yes. I'm, I'm playing with that happy meter. So exactly. if I go into the 180s, that's where I'm kind of in the danger zone. So I wouldn't say danger, but if you're used to it, then that's still okay. But if you're not used to it, then... You know, you're at risk of putting yourself... Because the highest the highest I got harm. it this year was in the CrossFit Open. Yeah. I was wearing my monitor. I noticed I got it up to like 179. That's like the mm-hmm. highest I got it, I think, or the, at least that I can remember. Okay. And I was like, is that bad? Is that good? You know, like... Well, if you do it once every blue moon, then that's fine. But okay. if, if excessively, if you're always in that range, then... Something's not, off. Yes. You're not doing yourself a service by being in that position, in that state. So fitness enthusiasts, you're getting into that. Can they... So I was just going to yeah. say, so I'm trying to bring benefit to both regular people and fitness people. So the second way we get a heart attack is that you have a 30% blockage in the artery. So this is not a big blockage. 30% is like a small hump on the road, but it's like a zit. If you can imagine a zit inside of this tube and suddenly this zit explodes, the content of the zit, which is the mucky yellow juice, yeah is now inside the bloodstream. The bloodstream recognizes that this is an abnormal matter or thing, and it sends reinforcement. It sends platelets to form a clot to protect the blood from this abnormal material. Once that plug of platelet forms, it plugs the artery, and that is how you get a heart attack. So you could get a heart attack from big blockages. You could get a heart attack from small blockages. The third way, of getting heart attacks is by the whole vessel kind of being disrupted. It's called dissected. So a dissected coronary artery is the third way to get a heart attack. We don't see this very often. Who do we see this often in? We see it in those who take steroids. I was just going to ask you that question. Okay, yeah. All right, yeah. Let's get into this. So now, you I'm, take, like, I'm liking where this so conversation is going. Yeah. And steroids basically thin or make the wall of the blood vessel weaker. Now, would that be with all types of steroids? I mean, like anything that pumps up. What about uh, synthetic testosterone? We've seen men in their 40s that, you know, there's steroid replacement therapy now. So that's under medical supervision. So that's different. So that's completely, that's So what you see is the doses that would be given to a horse 
injected into a human being. The 1,000 milligram guy that's going to these big gyms. Exactly. And they've got the exactly. veins popping out of their heads exactly. and everything. So now that's all steroids when we talk about yes. Winstrol, D-ball, so anything So these that's people synthetic. are prone to have their coronary artery dissect. And because their hearts are not used to a reduction in the blood flow, as soon as the, the coronary artery dissects, they get a big reduction in the blood supply. The heart becomes irritable. They go into an abnormal rhythm and they drop dead. You find a lot of these, you know, bodybuilding competition participants. They don't publicize it. They don't show what they happens don't. 10 years later. Exactly. And a lot of them exactly. die And they die disease. at a yeah. young age. Yeah. So just look it up. Mid-50s. You know, yeah, yeah. Mid-50s. Just 50s. look it up. That's and, the biggest thing I've seen. Yeah. And someone brought that to my attention once. And I was like, really? No. And then just I recently, up, yeah. one of them was in uh, late 30s, I think early 40s died. Anything that happens to the heart, people usually send it to me. I'm the first who gets these WhatsApp messages and forwards yeah. from Facebook because people want my expert opinion. So I get to, I'm privileged in that sense that I get <laughs> Which all Which is amazing. The, that exactly. is absolutely amazing. So you get, you know, these news that someone who's been a professional bodybuilding athlete who just dropped dead out of nowhere. That's kind of scary. Now, what about like, I'm not going to lie. Mm. I tried Winstraw when I was younger, when I was like about mm. 23, 24. Mm -hmm. I've said it on the show before. I tried Winstraw for a stint, not longer than maybe a month or mm -hmm. two. I don't even know. But when I realized that I was becoming dependent on it for my lifts, yes. I was like, all right, there's something wrong here. Exactly. I got to get away from this because if I don't want to be dependent on mm -hmm. a foreign substance so that I could exercise. Because yes. I'm not a pro athlete. Yes. But is the damage irreversible? No, What's no, I, I wouldn't say that the damage is irreversible. All right, all. thank you. Yeah, you're, fi you're fine. You're, you're, you're gonna, you're gonna, I'm you're gonna fine. rest easy yes, today. Yes. No, <laughs> it's just being a smoker for like 15 years. That I'm, that's what I'm worried that, about. That, yes, that is. So I've the buildup in the arteries is yeah. there. Now, my advice to you is to try and slow down more buildup happening in the arteries in the coming days. But, you know, I'm sure you work out eat well, avoid smoking, do regular checkups. You know, if there's anything that could be fixed, try and it's fix scary. it. It's scary. Last time I went for a checkup, mm -hmm. I was still smoking a pack and a half a day. Okay. And they're like, oh, you're good. Nothing's wrong here. You're all right. Because, you know, the checkups. Which is weird. Yeah, like, well, the checkups are no, basic they did, they did EKG. They did all those things and whatever else. And I was shocked. I was scared. You expected, you expected yeah, damage. Yeah, I was terrified. I was terrified. I was like, oh my God, I'm going to find out like I have some heart disease mm -hmm. and, you know, that's it. And then when they told me that, I was like, Okay. And then that's what got me into thinking, well, if I haven't screwed up yet, mm -hmm. why don't I quit before I do screw up? Okay. And that was the turn I took. Now, so going back to the point we, where we spoke about athlete's heart, what athletes are prone to is what is called atrial fibrillation. So basically we have in our hearts, atria, which is the upper chambers of the heart, and ventricles, which are the lower chambers of the heart. There is a pacemaker, let's say, in these atria, and it pulses an energy or a, an electrical signal that goes down through the atria and then reaches to the ventricles, and that's how the hearts beat. But in atrial fibrillation, we don't really know how it happens, but there's an excess of electrical activity. And through the high tone or high excessive workouts, you become prone to developing more electrical rhythm or electrical activity in these atria. The problem with atrial fibrillation is that the atrium does not beat, it quivers. So as it quivers, blood kind of stagnates or swooshes inside the atrium. And blood that does not move clots. So you get small clots forming 
And as these clots find their way into the ventricle and then into the body, they could cause a stroke, cause blockages in different arteries of the body. So we know that athletes are prone to atrial fibrillation. And the reason I say get checkups is you don't want to have atrial fibrillation without knowing that you have it. So now the checkup would include like an EKG. So EKG. So what I would do for people is I do EKG. I do a chest x-ray. I do uh, routine blood tests, which include your liver function tests, your liver enzymes. We do cholesterol. We do uh, kidney function and the level of blood or complete blood count. Now, if people wanted to find you, are you government only? Or so do I'm you have, government only. You're government only. Yes, so it's yes. like, it's you get luckier. You got to find a big wasla. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, <laughs> code, theprojectkuwait.com. Exactly. <laughs> so the other things I do is I also check for their HbA1c, which is, so it's an indicator of your blood sugar for the past three months. So it doesn't tell me what your blood sugar today is. It tells me what your blood sugar has been for the past three months. And if you've got diabetes, then this level is usually elevated. And finally, the two things that I usually do is a thyroid function to make sure that your thyroid is working well. I don't do this often, but at least once if first time I see you and we measure your vitamin D levels. So these are the things that are that I check for that are easily corrected. If the ECG is abnormal, then it says that you've got a silent heart attack that could happen in some people, or you've got, let's say, atrial fibrillation that you didn't know about. One of my relatives who was an athlete from his childhood, he was a football player, a basketball player, a tennis player, and in his older age, older years, he was a squash player. He would go and play squash five days a week, all out of a sudden, he just dropped His left side was paralyzed. And when we looked at him, we found that he had atrial fibrillation. And I'm sure he had it for quite a while without knowing that he had atrial fibrillation. The Apple Watch is now certified as a monitor for atrial fibrillation. Wait, really? So now now my investment in the Apple Watch, this is to my wife. Exactly. (laughs) My investment investment into the Apple Watch is justifiable. (laughs) Exactly. And what it says, it just so a watch in itself cannot diagnose, but it tells you that, you know what, your heart rate is abnormally high. I recommend that the watch tells you, you know, it's recommended that you go and seek medical help. The American and some of the European virgins have an EKG function. And it could record an EKG for you whenever you get a, you feel that your heart is abnormal, that EKG could be emailed to your physician should you want to or should you need to. Wow. Would you recommend any private clinics here to mm-hmm. have a checkup for some of the athletes? I mean, you're a public government, yeah. so like I, we, I can't recommend A, but you know, there's lots of, are there good, good are doctors. there, are there good doctors here? Yes, I mean, even if you can't recommend, like there are some good doctors yes. here in Kuwait that we could go and seek Absolutely. out there. We don't have to go all the way to Boston. No, 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 no. I don't think you should. No. Uh, that's where I usually go anyways. Well, you know, I can't diss Boston. They've got great healthcare and they've got great hospitals and physicians. But, you know, some of the physicians that we have here have trained in the United States, have trained in Canada, equally as, as I good. said, and they're equally as good. Exactly. If not better, if not better. I told you before the show started, my son, yes, he almost died. Yes. And his surgeon was a Kuwaiti surgeon mm-hmm. who studied in Canada. Yes. And even when we go to the States, they're amazed by how small his scar is. He had yeah. pyloric stenosis. So. Yes. I mean, it just goes to show you that we do have some great doctors here in Kuwait. No doubt. 
I have no doubt in my mind. Well, 100%. We yes. wouldn't have you on the show. Thank you. Thank you <laughs> I mean, so much. Now, instead of being all doom and gloom uh-huh. <laughs> this yes. episode, what are some of the positives we could take away? What are some of the positive things about, you know, if you do work out, you know, some, some of the fluffy stuff? <laughs> so, I mean, fluffy stuff, I told you. If you walk, yeah. just walking half an hour a day, you cut down the chance of getting a heart attack by a half. Okay. That's one thing. The other thing that is also has been found to be useful in cutting down chances of having a heart attack is eating raw nuts, a handful, underline handful of raw nuts. So I've given this advice to some people and what do they do? Eat the bag. Exactly. (laughs) In one sitting. Imagine they start watching, I don't know, Game of Thrones or whatever. And this bag is just right next to them. By the time the episode has finished, they've gone through the whole bag. This is bad. So what we say is a handful is usually six or seven almonds or walnuts. You have them, let's say, every day in the morning on your way to work. And that has been found to, again, cut the chance of having a heart attack by 40%. So this is another kind of tidbit or another piece of advice that I'd recommend. You know, raw walnut, exercising routinely, doing checkups on yearly basis, maybe after you're 40 Okay. Yeah. All right. That's that's yeah. pretty cool. Now, what, what what's your uh, let's dive into you a little bit. What's mm-hmm. your exercise of choice? <laughs> what's so, your what's your bread and butter like the gym or wherever? So you I have to say, I have to admit that I'm lazy. I am guilty. Well, we all are inherently. Yeah. We all are. What do I do? I have a personal trainer, and if I have an appointment, I don't miss my appointments. I'm there, and because I have an appointment with my personal trainer at 4 p.m., I'm usually at the gym. If I'm not in the operating room, I'm at the gym to work out. And what do we do? So we do, so we divide things up. We've got legs on Sunday. Okay. We've got chest. Now, do, you, do you coach him through and be like, hey, I want to do this? No, no, no I don't. I don't, yeah, I don't no. <laughs> Even when I go and see a doctor, I pretend like I'm not a doctor. So I am a patient. Yeah, that must be hard for you. So I, mean, yeah, like... I mean, even if I take a relative, I don't even say I'm a doctor. I, you know, yep. Usually my father would say, oh, you know, my son is a doctor. <laughs> He's a heart surgeon. <laughs> So I'd like the docs to be at ease and, you know, to act normal, do their own routine. I don't want to interrupt the routine of the physician. Anyhow, so then we've got a day where we do high intensity training, a day where we do back training and then shoulder and bicep and tricep. Well, that's cool. That's cool. So that's five days a week. I try on the weekends to do cardio of some sort. So either like a rowing, I don't know, 3K, running 5K skier 5k so i try and do something on my own no assault bike in there it's i I feel like it's just too boring the the assault bike yeah it's it's like torture man you know it's like the assault bike (laughs) the assault bike's like i always call it the devil's creation it is it is i mean mean, but i never go that you know that fast or i never put in that much effort the the, the assault bike's horrible it is it is (laughs) that's it's horrible during the high intensity training yeah because usually we're doing you know we're jumping from one machine to another to a third you know, you've got time to finish the whole workout. That's really cool. So like, what channels are you on? I mean, so I'm everywhere. You're I, everywhere. I, okay. I am we'll on, throw it all in the show notes, definitely. But good. like, so I'm on you, Instagram. You've got the YouTube show. So I have the YouTube show. The YouTube show is in English, it's called Doctor of Hearts uh, or in Arabic, Doctor Al-Qulub. The whole point of the show was when I came back from Canada, I trained in Canada and Toronto. I did my cardiac surgery there. I trained in the United Kingdom. In Leeds, in the UK, I did my medical training there. And when I came back, when you tell someone that they need a heart attack in Canada, they're like, okay, when's the operation? It's it's normal. You tell someone in Kuwait that they need an operation, they break down into tears. They start crying. They say goodbye to their family as if this is a death sentence. 
So I'm like, you know, what can I do to educate people? I'm like, you know what, let me take people into the operating room and try and introduce them to what happens in the operating room and put them at ease. And that was the whole point. So I thought I'll take a camera. So it's like a reality show. There's a camera that follows me around and records my daily activities. So we've done three seasons, 37 episodes of this show. There's a season four coming out after Ramadan. And I think the message is out there. You know, at least people who come who need an operation, our docs in our hospital tell them that, you know, he's on YouTube. You could go and watch the show. So people watch the show and they feel comfortable. They feel at ease that, you know, they're going to go and have an operation. They know what the operation is all about. They know what happens during the operation. So that was the whole point of the YouTube show. I'm also on Instagram. On Instagram, I try to give out an advice a day. Give out great tips. Great tips on yeah, Instagram. So I, that's they're, how, that's they're how like, I found yeah, you. It's they're amazing. like one minute long. Yeah videos maximum. I like your stories. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I love Thank the you. stories, especially when you give out the community advice. Exactly. That... And then there's the other part that is non-medical. You know, you see someone doing something wrong yeah. and you try and give, it's not a professional advice. It's just an advice as a human being. But that's the beauty of what I love about your channels is mm -hmm. you're using your influence in a great way. Yes. Versus using it in, you know, I'm trying to sell you something cheap way. You're using yes, your yeah, influence yeah, yeah. in a positive way. Yeah, I don't want to, you know, I'm community. not trying to sell anything. I'm comfortable with my job. I love my well, job. Your hearts are demanding. Exactly. But, you know, <laughs> so, what I'm trying to, I want less people coming to me. That's what I want, basically. The purity. Yeah. You know, I mean, I got to commend you on the purity thank of you. it all. Thank I mean, you. thank you so much. I think my what you're pleasure. doing for the community is a huge service. And for all of our international listeners, I mean, you got to check this guy out. Hopefully he'll be start producing some more English stuff. I hope so. If I not, so. if not, we're going to drag him back onto the project. <laughs> right? I know what time you train at, at your gym. 4 so, p.m. Every so I'll day. just come there with the camera and the recorder. And I'll be like, all right, come on, man. <laughs> but thank you so much for coming on the show. My pleasure. Really appreciate it. It's my pleasure. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed it, please head over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. You can also find us on Instagram at The Project Kuwait. Thank you, and join us next time.